Oh, that I stepped all over people on my way to the top kind of a thing. You did make a remark once that you got to keep moving. Yeah. And you can't take everybody. You can't take everybody with you. Exactly. Yeah. Is that opportunist or is that what everybody That's does? what, you know, it's whatever you want to call it, you know. I think that, um, to me, the uh, definition of an, of being an opportunist is someone who seizes the moment and gets the most out of what they can. And, you know, certainly never having the intention of hurting anyone. You're listening to MLBC, the Madonna podcast, your place to dance and sing, get up and do your thing, about all things Madonna, Louise. Veronica Ciccone. Hey guys, it's Tony and I'm so stupid. And hey guys, it's Stefan. Uh, thanks for joining us for another installment of the MLVC podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, producer and director of the documentary Madonna and the Breakfast Club. Everyone, please welcome Guy Guido to the podcast. Welcome, Guy. Thanks for coming to Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. How are, how, how are things with you today, Guy? Are you... Living for love today? I am, as always. <laughs> we, um, I, I was wondering if you had had a chance to see Madonna on the... Before we get to talk about uh, your movie about Madonna and in her early days, uh, I was wondering if you had seen current Madonna uh, and her, her, her Madame X tour. I haven't seen Madame X yet. Uh, are you planning to see Madame Yes, X? of course. Uh, I'm not sure where... Yet I was supposed to go to the L.A. show, which is coming up um, the opening night, which was postponed or moved or canceled. I'm not sure yet what, what's happening with that. But um, So I might still go to an L.A. show, but I'm also thinking about the Paris closing, mm, nice. which would be nice. And I love Paris. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I've never seen her in a foreign country, and I think it would be really fun to like either Lisbon or Paris or London. I mean, any of it. I'd take any of it. Guy yeah. Guido loves Paris in the springtime, so... Yeah. <laughs> it might work out. No, and, and, you know, we all know that if you choose an opening night, you better think twice, right? Because mm-hmm. there seems to be a trend with Madame X canceling opening nights. I I don't know if she's doing that on purpose or if it's... She's uh, just mm-hmm. switching it up. She's <laughs> yeah. keeping us on our toes. Uh, and that she does. Yeah. Um, but so we actually uh, had heard uh, last night was the opening of her San Francisco shows. And uh, our, our wonderful listener, Alyssa... Uh, who was a beer bitch in Brooklyn and uh, has seen a lot of Madame X shows uh, during the course of the run, uh, was able to be there. Uh, and I, I'm quoting Alyssa when I read this all to you. Horrible crowd. So San Francisco, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, apparently everyone sat the entire performance. And mm. for those people who were trying to stand, those people were telling the other people to sit. So um, I've... I mean, I sat a little bit at the Madame X tour, but I mostly stood, and it'd be a little weird to have a whole audience sitting at yeah. the entire show. I mean, kind of strange. Uh, apparently, the Polaroid went for $10,000 last night, wow. but not in cash. Apparently, it was uh, price to be f- or payment to be figured out afterwards. So hmm. I guess she's now accepting uh, Venmo. Venmo or, <laughs> yeah, like PayPal. Layaway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because apparently nobody offered anything else in cash. So San Francisco needs to step it up a little bit, okay? Uh, apparently the beer bitch was less interview and consisted of her teaching some people how to cha-cha-cha. 
Um, some tall guy brought her the beer to the stage and she exited to the side because apparently San Francisco does not have a middle row. And uh, according to Alyssa, she was in a cute mood. She kept saying, art and talking about her raspy voice. Uh, so that's our, uh, our small update for the San Francisco shows. After San Francisco, she is off to the Sin City known as Vegas. I'm interested in seeing what happens in Vegas as far as uh, her timing on going on stage, because I know that these venues have like really strict you know, guidelines. But then again, in Vegas, she could go on at three in the morning and they'd be okay with it. Yeah, I don't, I've, I've heard people say that they don't really know what time it is when they're in Vegas. Like, <laughs> if you're inside the casino... Things like it could be the middle of the night or the middle the windows, of the day. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know what, Stefan. The same could be said about a Madame X show. You know, if <laughs> you don't, if you don't have a non-Apple <laughs> compliant watch, you really don't know what time it is. And it's funny because I keep reading reviews of past shows, and they all say that the running time was two hours and twenty minutes or two hours and thirty minutes, and I didn't realize it was that long. No, I have no I, idea how long I mean, she went for. You know, past I I, I I waited two and a half hours, but. Yeah. You know. Yes, these are the things you have to look forward to, Guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rolling out the Madame X red carpet. You know, and, uh, <laughs> arrival times and uh, departure times. Yeah, and I, I'm curious also to see uh, what happened in San Francisco because the BART stops running at like 12.50. Right. And how are people getting home? Yeah, how are people getting home? It, but, you know, San Francisco is also the home of Lyft. So. Uber, Lyft, yeah. All right, Pet, so... Pedicab, you never know. Well, you, you don't. So... I'm so excited to have Guy Guido here. I've watched this film several times on Amazon Prime. Actually, I paid for it the first time on Thank iTunes <laughs> when it first came out because I, I, I know that it played in a couple of theaters here in New York. Didn't it play at like Village East? We did uh, in New York. We did a premiere screening at, in Passback Park, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but in the States, there was no theatrical release. Uh, the only theatrical releases we had were um, Russia oh, wow. and Brazil. Okay. Yeah, and uh, every every country decides whether or not they're going to do a theatrical. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole business thing whether it's worth it to do that kind of marketing and you know, or just go straight to pay per views and yeah. Yeah, because when I first started seeing you know videos here and there on YouTube, and I was like, okay, I need to know everything about this movie. Mm-hmm. I need to find it, and you know, I, I guess I thought I missed a, a release, but hey, I got it as soon as it was available. And um, now that it's on Amazon Prime, it you know, word is getting out there and a lot of people are watching it. And Hulu. And Hulu, yes. Um, yep. in- including a lot of our listeners who later on, I when I ask you some questions, I'll, I'll let you know which listeners have asked those because, you know, they're also curious about the development of the film and, um, and what, you know, what you have to say about it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first of all, I... I know that you went to NYU Tisch, which is a very respected, you know, uh, production, you know, film school. Film yes. school, yes. So, um, are you also from the New York area? I grew up on Long Island. Oh wow! I was born in Brooklyn, grew up on Long Island. Yeah. So I went to Hofstra. Was that? I went to Hofstra. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so it's a Long Island, Long Island University, yep. in case anyone doesn't know. So tell me about your how your love of film, your love of Madonna, uh, kind of informed this project and. And, you know, how it all came together. You know, if this is something that's been gestating for a while or you just decided one day to make a movie about Madonna. Right. Um, well, I think what I, what I discovered in filmmaking, um, you know, you should always, um, the most successful things uh, is going to come from what you're most passionate about or things you write what you know or, you know, um, build a project on something that 
you, you, you're going to be passionate about being in for a few years because that's what it takes to make mm -hmm. a movie. Um, and so going back to my introduction to Madonna though, uh, and why I might have become so passionate about the subject, um, this is going way, way back. Uh, yeah, take it all the way back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this is about, I'd say, very early 1983. Um, no one really knew who Madonna was at the point at this time. She didn't have a full album out yet. Uh, it was just a couple of singles that were released at this point. Um, there was this little nightclub on Long Island in Huntington that was called Images, and they were having um, some performer coming to perform. And my friends and I, who would go to this place regularly, were like, "Oh, let's go to Images tonight. There's some singer named Madonna going to come." Or, all right, sure, whatever, you know. Oh my God, you're killing me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we go, and it wasn't overly crowded because, again, nobody knows who she was. And I want to say, I think it was a weeknight, actually, mm -hmm. like a Thursday or something. So it wasn't really crowded. Um, and we just, you know, having our regular night dancing, and then the DJ kind of asks us to all get off the floor, and this performance is going to come out. And she comes out and walks like, like because, again, I was mentioning to you before we started this that I like to be upfront. When I'm watching shows. So I was standing at, right at the front of the dance floor, you know, for this, whoever she was going to be. Um, it could have been Taylor Dane for all you know. <laughs> so she comes with a couple of dancers. I, I'm From what I remember, I, I probably Christopher, uh, there was at least two dancers with and her. Erica and they, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they walk right past me, get onto the stage, and she did uh, physical attraction. Uh. Oh, good. Uh, burning up. I think that's it. Did she uh, oh, sing everybody. live or was it a track? It was a track. Uh -huh. Yeah, she was singing over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember immediately being just mesmerized by her. Um, she, and remember, this is suburbia. This yeah. is mm -hmm. suburban Long Island, you know, kind of people that are just, you know, in a little bubble of suburbia. They're not like, and young people, they're not really going into Manhattan much, whatever. So she was sort of like this strange looking, um, if you look at her face, she was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. uh, but everything else was kind of weird for suburban Long Island. So like the, the styling, the way yes, like the hair, hair. Because it was, it was kind of very like East Village. Yes, yes. Girls were not dressing that way at the mall yet. What was that? I said girls were not at the mall no, dressed like no, that. No, no, yeah. not yet, no. So, um, you know, the crazy ratty hair and the tie in it. And she had... I remember distinctly she was wearing, um, it was a, a, a white man's t-shirt cut with holes in it and like black magic marker words or whatever. The floppy black skirt and little booties. Or... So, uh, yeah, I just, I, I was like in awe and just sort of fixated on this girl and her eyes were just like incredible. That was the thing I remember, and her skin. Mm -hmm. Even um, back before MDNA skincare was around. Yes. Flawless. Yes. Well, you know the story. Her and Debbie Mazar used to go get facials in the East Village from this heroin addict that she says gave her the best facials she's ever had her whole life. Yeah. And she, really? Mm -hmm. yeah, she was always very, uh, very like uh, aware of and taking care of her skin, mm -hmm. even when she was very young, it mm -hmm. seems. Um, but it was gorgeous, flawless skin and these eyes that, that really stick with me. I mean, this was, I don't know, 30 something years ago. Yeah. Um, so after the performance, uh, and again, like the people in the crowd were kind of, I don't know how, what they, if they knew what to make of her. Mm -hmm. Do we like this? We kind of like this song. Oh, this song sounds familiar. Had you heard the song? I think I had heard everybody vaguely because it wasn't, it wasn't like a, um, 
it wasn't on pop music radio stations. It was just in the dance clubs. Yeah. Um, so I remember vaguely sort of sound, sounding familiar to me. Um, but the other two songs, I don't think I knew. Um, so, but after the show, uh, and you can even see some people kind of snickering through the show, like, who is this? What is this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so after the show, I, I wanted to meet her. So I went, me and my friend, uh, we went, there was no backstage. It was just a little, little club. So her, her dressing room was the office, uh-huh. you know, so <laughs> we went and we knocked on the office door and we said, hi, could we maybe get an autograph? And he shut the door and said, give me a second. Um, then she came out um, and it was just her. And she, my friend was the lucky one. She got, uh, it was actually a promotional photograph that Sire had given, you know, and so she got that sign oh, nice. to her mm. and uh, she only had one to give out and so so but then i i'm embarrassed to say i smoked at the time uh so i had a pack of marble lights and she signed that love Madonna. <laughs> that's all i had in my hand like, can you sign this yeah, you know? yeah. so she signed my pack of marble lights and i had it for many years um but what i did was i cut it out off the box you know and i just kept it like in my sock drawer mm-hmm. oh, no. my like mother like going, going through my things oh what is this cigarette thing <gasps> it out uh, yeah mom yeah <laughs> um so but again from that moment um you know no no one really knew who she was she didn't have a full album out but the next day i went running to the record stores which were a thing at the time yeah uh, sam goody yeah <laughs> Tower yeah yeah and i bought a single um but on 45 not the 45 it's actually a 12 inch a 12 inch single yeah um so but from that point, again, this was early 83, things moved very fast. Uh, I think she did another she did another show after that at Uncle Sam's, which is the more well-known show, Uncle Sam's in Levittown, Long Island. Um, I wanted to go to that one, and I went. Um, one of the people we were with didn't have, because we were all underage, mm-hmm. I remember at the time. So um, it was easier to get into a club being underage because they didn't have photographs on your ID at the time. It's just a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the girls, and this was a double date. So I was <laughs> me and a friend and his girlfriend and this girl who I was on a date with. And she didn't have ID. So we couldn't get in. I was, all I wanted to do was be, I didn't sorry, care about the stage. Sorry, I wanted to be in the club. Sorry, girl. I'm that would have been the to... perfect day to come out of club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gay, and I have to see Madonna. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> I so... must go and fulfill my destiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then to make it worse, as we're pulling out, I see her. Now, again, this is pre-everything, mm-hmm. so she didn't... Pre-Freddie a... Demand. <laughs> yeah, she didn't come in a fancy car. She was in a little regular car, but I see this car pull in, and she's in the back seat with the hair... And I'm like... Probably complaining about something. Oh, right, right, right. As we're leaving, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, my gosh. Uh, but it's amazing that you were able to catch her before her... Like, before Like a Virgin, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, before that. Yeah, before Borderline, before any of that. Yeah, you know? the era you're describing, uh, the visual um, cue that I have is her performing on Dancing on Air, uh, Dance Party USA. Uh-huh. Like so that, it was around that time. Around that time, yeah. like, look, yeah. And so, uh, I mean, there was, this is before even like cell phones or, I mean, you probably didn't even have like a disposable camera no, to like take pictures no. of her. Was you had it? to have your Kodak disc. Right. Yeah, nothing. No <laughs> well, pictures. I mean, were people like, do those places have a picture of her from when she performed? Uncle Sam's does. Oh, they do? Uncle Sam's okay, has a good. video. 
Really? Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So, but this first club I went to, they didn't, you know. So that was probably several months before Uncle Sam's when she was even less well-known. Mm-hmm. But as I was going to say, it just things escalated very fast. So by the time Uncle Sam's, which was only a few months later, more people knew of her. The club was packed. Wow. Um, so, and she still didn't have a full album out yet, but the, you know, uh, physical attraction burning up. There was a music video now for burning up. Mm-hmm. Um, so people were more aware. And then from that point to the first album, it just months, she was, she went from, who is this person we're going to see at this club? I don't know. To superstar. Yeah, heavy with, rotation on MTV and on yeah, 40 Radio. Yeah, within like six, seven months, maybe. It's impressive how, because when I was watching your documentary and you sort of talk about how fast her fame came, mm-hmm. the instantaneous thing that I thought of was she was doing this without social media. You know, like, yeah. this was a, like, it was a perfect storm of, like, her drive and her motivation and, like, the birth of MTV mm-hmm. and her having, like, amazing music videos that early on and yeah. just interesting style and it was mm-hmm. just it's, it was funny how like yeah how fast because it doesn't happen that fast anymore right unless yeah. you have like a pr company backing exactly. you and yeah the whole machine yeah yeah so where did you get the idea that you wanted to make a film about madonna specifically about her inception uh her early years you know how she created herself you know Literally on the streets of New York. Yeah. Um, you know, being a fan, I had uh, read the early biographical books and stuff like that. And, and I'd known about this band, Breakfast Club. Um, but it was always just sort of skimmed over and you know, we touched on, you know, and it, it didn't really go into too much detail. Um, and I knew that there had to be more to this. And, and I'm also, just in general, I'm always fascinated by, like, um, origin stories of, yeah. of celebrities, whether it's any, Marilyn Monroe, or James, the iconic ones, you know, who they were before. Um, and again, like you're saying, there was no internet. There was no uh, way for us to sort of see into their life the way we can now. Um, so when, like when I was first introduced to Madonna, as I was saying before, she was this enigma, you know, she was this, you know, and all you could do was imagine, well, what does this girl do every day? Does she just sort of walk around spray painting her name on walls? <laughs> and like, you know, you just, you know, and also I'm like, you know, it's 16 years old. Yeah. Um, and so she wasn't like human to mm-hmm. me, she, you know. She's an uh, enigma wrapped in a mystery, covered in bangles. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I like that, Tony. <laughs> and luckily, I feel like it was a good thing in a way because you, we didn't have access to them the way we have today, you know, to know what they had for breakfast or whatever, all those details that sort of make them human. Mm-hmm. Right. She's not posting her Instagram stories back right. in 1984. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she was this sort of, you know, I don't know, this, what you see in music video, you think that's how she walks around every day. And mm-hmm. they can, you know, yeah, and I remember going into Manhattan, maybe we'll find her, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought... Oh, go ahead. I thought she was like this elusive man trap, you know, because every time she was on MTV, she was very snarky and very flirtatious with the guys that were interviewing her because they always had guys interviewing her, you know? Yeah. And they'd always be like, oh, Madonna, she's hot stuff, you know? And, yeah. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, she's beautiful, but I'm not really looking to sleep with her, right. you know? Right. Yes. I just want to dance and sing, you know? Yeah. And just, it's like, you can't look away. Mm-hmm. It says her space is right, you know, gay, straight, whatever. You know, when I was mesmerized by her when I first saw her, it wasn't because I was attracted to her sexually. It was because you just can't look away. Mm-hmm. Her, she was that, like, she just captured your attention. 
Uh, you, you just couldn't, you know, stop staring, you know. Um, so then uh, getting back to the Breakfast Club stuff and the origin story, um, I wanted to make a film that, um, again, I'd be passionate about making for a few years. And then I could get off my ground, off the ground myself financially. Because in filmmaking, you know, that's one of the big barriers in making a movie is who's going to finance this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so doing a documentary, uh, technology has advanced enough where you can, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a million dollars to make a movie. Um, so I figured, let me do something about uh, someone that was something that I am extremely interested in that I can raise the money myself or with some help, you know, um, realistically to make this movie. Um, so Dan Gilroy was someone that, um, I had started interacting with. I don't know if you guys know of my short film, Physical Attraction. I have not been able to find it. So if you'll lead me and our listeners in that direction, yeah. so we could look I at recently it. put it on YouTube. Okay, so great. you can see it now on YouTube. Um, and I'm guessing it has something to do with Madonna. Yeah. Well, it's actually the story that I just told you earlier about how I uh-huh. initially met her at the club. It's basically that. Oh, it, awesome. it sort of shows fictional or documentary. It, it's no, no. For, it's it's fictional. Okay. Yeah, it's narrative, and there's definitely it's not completely 100 percent accurate to what really happened. Oh, so who, who's playing you in the movie? Uh, an actor. Um, he, he's a really talented guy, uh, Jake Miller, and um, he. Uh, I auditioned. Him and uh, oh, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Now. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fun. It's a fun. Did you shoot it at the actual location where she performed? Is that place even there? No, no. This was uh, you know, this is a narrative film. We had to just find locations to be the club and various things. Um, you know, because I, I came in contact with her again after that in real life, which you'll see in the movie, mm-hmm. in the short film, how that all happened. So it's okay. sort of the film is sort of about my introduction to Madonna, but in making that film. I knew that I had a bigger idea to follow this and I knew that it was going to involve breakfast club. Uh, so I, and this might sound a little manipulative, but it's more like forward thinking. Not on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I contacted, uh, I figured, let me use some of the breakfast club, the later breakfast club music in this film, uh, as a way to sort of introduce myself to the guys. And so I reached out to Stephen Bray first and um, asked how I could license Right on Track. Oh my I God. that song. I, FYI, when I was finished watching that movie, I was like, I must know some of the Breakfast Club music. I just don't realize what it is. <gasps> so I looked it up and Right on Track came up first. And I was like, oh my God, I love yeah. this song. Like you knew the, the song. Yes, yeah. I knew it as soon as I heard those chords. And I was like, oh my God, of course. Yeah. I was obsessed with Breakfast Club from the very beginning. And actually, what's weird is that the first time I ever heard them, they did a cover of Drive My Car by the Beatles for that movie, License to Drive. It's in the opening credits. And I was like, I know this is a good, you know, remake of this song. It's very like, you know, kind of housey, very 80s, um, high energy. And then I bought their record like a week later and this is like 87 or 88. And I was like, Oh my God, this sounds just like Madonna. I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> Until later when I was reading liner notes and I saw Stephen Bray, I was like, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that connection. Yeah. You know, they know the music, like I said, but they don't connect it to Madonna. Um, so it's all there people. Yeah. <laughs> so Stephen, uh, you know, he sp- responded, you know, pretty quickly. And uh, we started going back and forth about the business of the song that, and the song kiss and tell. I also licensed. Mm. So, but 
I'm not going to get into too much of the details about the business with licensing right. music, but it can get expensive, especially, especially when you're dealing with um, the master rights of a major label like MCA, which is what their songs mm-hmm. were from. But Steven suggested, you know, um, we can, rather than trying to license the actual recording that's on the album from MCA, um, you could just license the songwriting rights, which is a different side, and we can have Dan do a, a, a new version. Oh, nice. For you. And which was amazing. That, that saved you some pennies. Yes, <laughs> a lot. So that's what they did. You know, it's all their music. So Stephen had all the tracks. Dan did a new vocal. Um, and with that, I introduced myself to Dan Gilroy. And then Dan and I uh, just started going back and forth on Facebook. And um, Dan's just an amazing guy. Um, and he's just... Uh, we had a lot in common um, politically, socially, um, creatively. We just sort of hit it off. Um, and so eventually, you know, I did the short, finished the short, um, and then I wanted to introduce this, the idea of doing this bigger yeah. picture. And I, I asked Dan, would you consider doing this film with me? And his initial response was no, like a hard no. Um, more so because he, it was just the emotional things that it brought up for him. Mm -hmm. Um, he didn't want to revisit that. And, you know, I said, I understand, you know, I'm not emotionally attached to this the way you are. And, but if you ever consider it, it's something that I would love to talk about. And within a few weeks, he wrote me again and said, you know, I've been giving this a lot of thought and I trust you. And I think I want to do this. So that's how it began. Um, and I started going back and forth with Dan with just written questions written, you know, to him mm-hmm. in email. Um, and then those would spark more questions. And we just were going back and forth like that, just so I could start to get a bigger, broader picture right. of what this whole, what those days were. Um, then once I had Dan on board, it was easier for me to go to the other guys. So I went to Gary Burke. And, oh, Dan's doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know. Once you get one, you can get a bunch. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then Ed Gilroy, um, uh, we weren't sure if Ed was going to want to do it. Um, Ed was kind of feeling like, well, you know, don't people know about this already? Like, what more can we say? And, and but then, you know, I spoke to him and I'm like, no, they really don't. You know, not yeah. this deeply. <laughs> um, so then Ed was on board and uh, Stephen Bray, Obviously, it's not in the movie. Right. Um, he, the timing for him pretty much didn't work out, mm-hmm. so I couldn't I couldn't do his interview. Um, but he was great, and he was really just uh, cooperative with me. You know, um, nice guy, good guy. Um, so, but with with just speaking to Gary, uh, Dan, Ed, and then Norris Burroughs, uh, I was able to fill in any holes. You know, with Stephen, because uh, as you know, they speak about Stephen and. Yeah, yeah how that all transpired. Um, so that, that was how we got off the ground with making this. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we all know that in the nineties, you know, outlets like VH1, E, MTV, they all had their versions of Madonna documentaries, you know, that were, you know, 90 minutes, 30 minutes, um, an hour. And, you know, they always featured the same players, you know, it was always the same talking heads. It was, you know, people talking about Madonna as if they knew her, but for the most part, it was all mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, Your film is very different. Your film is 
a documentary, but it's also a narrative and it's also recreations of, um, of photos of, of, of actual film footage. It's, it's, it's a different beast altogether. So my question is, how did you, how did you decide to just focus on the truth on, you know, kind of stepping away from the mythology that was created around Madonna's, you know, coming up in the late seventies, early eighties in New York. Um, when you say mythology, uh, I, I'm assuming you're talking about like the mythology of how, how she got her start. Exactly. You know, a lot of people say, oh, she, you know, walked on the backs of all these men mm -hmm. and, you know, she screwed that person over. She screwed this person mm -hmm. over. And, um, you know, when, you know, there were all those books that came out in the 80s and 90s and, you know, they all had a, you know, very, they're very pointed about, you know, how Madonna came up. You know, a lot of them are like, oh, you know, she found Camille and she, you know, took everything she could from her and then moved on to the next person, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and through the years, um, it just, you just understand that that was not the fact, you know, right. the, this, these are just a lot of, you know, a lot of people's voices and that's all we heard for a long time. So what I'm saying is that in your film, we actually get to actually really hear this, this, this truth for the first time. Yeah. And I, I, I was really like, uh, I was happy to dispel though, those myths, you mm -hmm. know, um, you know, going into it, all I had was the myths, mm -hmm. you know, just like you're, you're talking about, um, so I wasn't really sure how how this story was going to go, how it was going to unfold. When you're making a documentary, that's sort of you have a, an idea of what this is going to be, but making a documentary is really like an explore exploration. Mm -hmm. You're kind of digging for treasure, and um, and in those initial questions with Dan is when the story started to open for me, um, and then with getting the information from him uh, would initiate questions that I had for the other guys um, to corroborate mm -hmm. what he was saying about this and this, you know, certain, certain points in the story I, I, would, would jump out at me like, wow, this is really interesting. I, I need Gary to talk about this and then Ed to talk about this, get, get all sides of this particular situation. Um, but as far as what you're saying about her, the mythology of her sort of stepping on people and moving on and, you know, that's not, First of all, that's not what these guys thought of her. Mm -hmm. um, Camille Barbone is a different story. Um, and I spoke with Camille. I, I can't get too into that. Right. But um, I wanted to focus on Breakfast Club. That's yeah. what this movie is about. Um, because it's more about her evolution as a musician. Yes, it's not about how she created a look or, or yeah. who she was dating. It's not about that. It's yeah. about, you know... She started out as a drummer in a band, yeah. you know, and yeah. it took it from there. Yeah. And what, and what I learned too, even with Camille, with the guys, with the guys in the band, she, she didn't step over or screw over anyone. She, what it was, was she wasn't going to hang back with you if you were not moving to the next level mm -hmm. with her. And I think that's understandable for anyone. If she thought that you could keep up, you're going to stay with her. Yeah. You look at someone like Liz Rosenberg, who was with her from the beginning as a publicist. Liz kept up. Mm -hmm. You know, if Liz was not keeping up, she would have moved on to somebody else. But if because, you're not ready to jump, Madonna's not going to like you. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not. Exactly. So it wasn't about stepping stepping over or hurting yeah. anyone. It was about, let, we're doing this together. Okay, yes, certain people brought her from here to here. Mm -hmm. 
But now that's as far as you're going to be able to, you know, go with her. But she wants to go here now. Yeah. You know, um, and, and that's generally, you know, what happened. And, um, and I think they all knew it. The guys in the band, you know, um, they were musicians, legit musicians. They wanted to be in a band. They enjoyed playing out. But it wasn't life or death for them. Mm-hmm. And for Madonna, it was. Yeah. That was the difference. And so, she, like, again, she wasn't going to sit back and just have fun playing in a band. She knew what she wanted to do with this. And if you didn't have that same mentality, ambition, drive to go that, she, she had to go. Not yeah. in a bad way. Yeah. But, you know, and I think it's, it's evident in the film, too, that on that point, uh, you see that she revisits them um, on the set of Kiss and Tell, you know, that video. Now, at that point, she was well into, I wouldn't say she was at the height, but she was, she was huge at that yeah. point. This was like maybe Who's That Girl era. So she was a huge, huge star. And if she was just, you know, going with the mythology, if she was just someone who stepped over and moved on and never looked back, why did she go to the set of Kiss right. and Tell? I she thought was, it was really sweet that yeah, she showed up. she was there. Right, and she had a very prolific songwriting relationship with Stephen Bray up until 19. Oh, yeah, that continued yeah. on and on, you know, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Stephen Bray kept up. Yeah. He was able to, you know, he was an amazing songwriter, producer, and, you know. Um, so, yeah, she was there to support them, be there for them. and, and it's, it a shame, was it's a shame she couldn't be in that video. Like, if, they, if she was on set, it's like... Put her in hair and makeup right now. Yeah, get really. Her in that video, right? <laughs> well, and I also think, like, with the people who are writing those salacious mythology tales about Madonna, I always looked at it as those are the people that, like, she left behind because she had her path, yeah. and they're angry about it. They're angry that she got famous because they weren't pulling their weight, and so they're sort of like trying to get back at her by writing salacious tales and whatnot. It's like, mm-hmm. get over it, people. Yeah. yeah, there was all that stuff in the early 90s where the detractors, you know, were coming out of the woodwork and, you know, and people ate it up, you know? I yeah. mean, Geraldo did like, what, two uh, two Madonna episodes per season in the late 80s, early 90s, you yeah. know, slamming her. And, yeah. You know. And also part of, part of the mythology, too, I think about, like, they tried to undermine mm-hmm. her as a musician. Just She was this pop tart that just sort yeah. of came up, came from nowhere, slept her way into a record deal, and she's going to fade out soon. But... You know, as you see in the movie, she's a musician. Mm-hmm. She started from square one, learning how to play the drums, then onto guitar, then keyboard. And you know, I'm not a musician, um, and I wasn't even I wasn't aware until I started uh, getting our actress Jamie Ald into drum lessons how hard it is to play the drums. Oh yeah, it's not easy. You think, oh, you just want to bang around. It's very, very hard. It takes a lot of skill and coordination and rhythm, obviously. Um, and yeah, on the early tracks where Madonna was playing the drums, um, it, there's a song called Curtis Come Back in, 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 that's in the film. And if you listen to those drums, that's Madonna, mm-hmm. straight up drumming, you know, and, it's, and she's great. Um, and then she learned how to play guitar and she learned how to play the keyboard, which she would play regularly out with the band um, and, and learn how to write songs. And that's, she came up like any other musician would, mm-hmm. would grow with learning how to, how to work in music. She's reusing those same skills uh, in the current Madame X tour. So she is, she is dr- drumming on the bongos. Yeah, she's she got a is, percussion moment in the show. She's, she's mm-hmm. guitaring during American Life, mm-hmm. and she is keyboarding mm-hmm. during Future. Wow. So, so there you go. Yeah. Mike. 
So now let's talk about Jamie. Um, we'd be remiss if we did not. She is the incredible actress that plays Madonna in this film in the recreations reenactments. She is striking to look at. Um, so we have um, a listener at princeeric.ea. That's our friend Eric Andre. And his question is, how did the casting of Jamie occur? Was that something that sparked the project or was it something that happened organically and unexpectedly during, you know, the, you know, development of the film? Yeah. Okay. So I was trying to cast, uh, cast the, the actress, uh, through the regular routes of casting agencies. And, um, I wasn't having luck because, you know, I, I finding talented actors, but I knew that if this wasn't just right, it was going to really distract mm-hmm. people and take them out of it. You know, um, so it was a frustrating thing. But uh, so Sunday is cheat day and I would go to this donut store every Sunday. I, I like where this is going. Already. Wait, which one? Because I love donuts. Donut plant in Chelsea. Oh, so oh, okay. good. On 23rd Street. The donut that eats like a cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I saw Jamie working behind the counter. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me stop, stop you there. Um, wasn't Madonna's first job in New York at a donut shop? Yeah, I know. I know. And sometimes when I tell this story, they're like, oh, stop, really? Where did you find her? She worked at a donut store. Okay. I mean, you can call donut plant, you know? Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, This can be verified, folks. Yes. (laughs) Um, That's crazy. I saw her the first time and I said to my husband and like, I saw her in profile. Um, and Maybe because, you know, my, my first career is in is in beauty and hair and makeup and stuff. Maybe I just look at things differently. So I'm not sure that everyone would see a profile and instantaneously recognize right. Madonna. But I did. And, and because it's such a unique profile um, and not many people have it. And uh, like there's this sort of flatness to her nose. It's mm-hmm. almost like Asian. Um, and this girl had that. And the whole profile was there. But I said, okay, now if she turns around and has the right eyes, I'm just going to die, you know, and she, and she did. And I'm like, die another day. So Mr. like <laughs> nudging my husband, I'm like, I'm like, look at that girl. Do you, do you see Who, who's that girl? Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, I was in the middle of casting this and I actually had someone almost cast. I, I'm not going to say names. She, oh, does, she works. She didn't make it. We had issues with uh, the Screen Actors Guild. Hmm. Um, because apparently, not to get too detailed again, but when you're making a documentary, trying try to make it a union SAG film, yeah. as a documentary, is you have to pay the actors the maximum minimum of $900 a day. And so, which is the maximum contract of, of SAG. And you can't mix. You have to do all SAG people, mm-hmm. which means everybody needs to be paid $900 a day. We could not afford to do that. There was no way. So I tried to work with them. And they, they tried to work with me, honestly, Zach. It's just a rule we have. And I think because most documentaries don't use actors. Right. And there's usually just the narrator. And it's one day. And that's it. So it's more affordable. They, and at the end of the day, they couldn't, they couldn't work with me. They couldn't change the rules. So I had to tell this SAG actor, it's not going to work out. And, but now we were like two weeks away from starting to shoot. So I said, and I was in LA, actually, I said to my husband, go talk to the donut girl, (laughs) (laughs) see what's happening. Maybe she wants to be an actor. She can't just be working in a donut store. How old was Jamie when you found her? She was 20. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. So she was the exact age. Yeah. It was just like everything aligned. All thanks with, to a like a French crawler. <laughs> yeah. Or the creme brulee. If you ever go to donut plant. Uh, yeah. Right. Creme brulee yeah. donuts. So uh, he approached her. He just came up to her and said, hey, um, has anyone ever told you you look like Madonna? And she's like, oh, sometimes. Um, and he said, well, my, my husband's doing this project. Here's his card. You know, if you're interested in acting, you know. So she was a little taken back. Like, what, you know, I don't understand what this is. So, again, she's 20 years old. So she called her mother. And <laughs> her mother's like, well, you know, meet them in a public place and see what they have to say, you know. So we met at Starbucks. And uh, she... We just started talking. I started filling her in on what we were doing with the project. I had already interviewed Dan and Dick, you know, the subjects uh, already. So um, I knew where this was going. Um, I knew the narrative things that I wanted to recreate. Um, and she was she was in. And so we just immediately, I got her into drumming lessons, acting lessons, um, dance lessons, guitar lessons, everything that I knew I was going to need to have her do. Was she a Madonna fan? She, um, I wouldn't say she was a fan. She was, she knew, who, it, it's hard to hear this as a long time without a fan. Right, yeah. She knew who she was. Uh, well, because of her age. I figured, you know, yeah, her age, she yeah. might not have been right. super Madonna. Right. Lately, you know. Exactly. Like, again, you know, she knew who she was. She knows a couple, maybe a fan of a certain songs that she had heard of. But that was it. So she had her research to do. So wow. I was going to say, did you put her through like a Madonna boot camp? I did. I mean, I did. Two days, you locked her in a room and were like, listen to this, watch this. <laughs> A lot more than two days. It was like, seriously, like, I mean, I gave her like a whole rundown. You need to watch this movie, that movie. All I sent her YouTube interviews early. Any early interview I could find of Madonna, watch this, watch this, watch this, you know. And and, and she did. And um, then I had to have her, because as you see in the movie, there's these audio recordings that we have of Madonna and Dan. Oh, my God. Yeah, where did you get those? Those so, are great. Yeah. Did you yeah. just give those over to you? Yeah, so Dan... Dan gave me those, and there's more. There's more of them than that's in the movie. You know, it's a, it's an hour and a half movie. I couldn't do everything, but you know, I put a good a good chunk of them are in the movie. And but what I wanted to do was have the real audio recording segue into the yeah. reenactments. And so for Jamie and Calvin, who plays Dan Gilroy, they had to get that down verbatim, and they did. I mean, yeah. every if you hear the original uh, continue throughout. And compare the two, it's identical. Every breath that they take, every every nuance is exactly the same. Well, and it's a strange conversation already. Like the conversation when I was watching it, I'm like, this is a real conversation they were having. Because it's like the subject matter <laughs> that they're talking about yeah. is kind of weird. And then the the vocal patterns that they both have. Like Madonna doesn't sound like the Madonna that we know today. Like mm-hmm. she sounds very like unfiltered and just like almost kind of strange. Mm-hmm. And then Dan Gilroy's like, hmm. He like he does these weird hmm. These little yeah. yep. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's just mm-hmm. like they interject at weird times. It's all like it's yes. just very, very strange. Yeah, it is. And just the and and the the conversation itself is just out there, you know, as uh, you know. So I think it was because because people always ask me, well, why were they talking like and recording themselves? <laughs> you know, and I think because But we all did that when we had yes, tape recorders before. In the 70s. Yeah, in it the was 70s a new 80s, thing. Yeah. It was like a new cool thing you could do. You could tape record yourself. And basically it's what people are doing with their Instagram stories. Yeah. You know, like if you yes. watch Instagram stories today, you're like, people, why the fuck are you filming this? You know, like, <laughs> and same thing. Yeah. Just, just in audio. Yeah. So let's just tape ourselves talking, you know. And that's that's what they did. Um, so so for, for Jamie, she lived with that recording 
for like weeks, just walking down the streets. Like people would be looking at her like she's crazy because she's be, be having that conversation on the street, getting it down every, like I said, the timing, every breath, every, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. So <laughs> no, I, I love that. And, and that also brings to mind, uh, the other device you use in the film where, um, a photograph or a, or, or a film that, you know, that from her early life becomes footage with Jamie, you know, like I'm, I'm speaking specifically of um, the video and the photo from the seventies where her hair is short and she's wearing the uh, like orange dress mm-hmm. from university of Michigan. Yeah. And then you completely recreate that. And I, I, I love how you do that. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. I think for anything that was existed, like mm-hmm. photographs that existed, cause there weren't many from this time. Um, there's no real video footage of her from this time other than dancing at Michigan. Yeah. Um, but if there was a photograph from that time, uh, I wanted to replicate that from head to toe, every button. And you did a great job. <laughs> and, well, and, but it's funny when you see the how you do it, where it, you'll sometimes you'll have the video start first and then segue into the picture. And you realize this is a very strange pose that they're all doing like yeah. why on earth would anyone pose this way mm-hmm. but like if you just look at the picture it just makes sense because it's, yeah. it's static yes. but then seeing them sort of like get into that you're like why on earth are they doing this like, it's, just, yeah. it's very funny it's, yeah. it's sort of like it's a bigger like sociological thing of like what we as people do prior the moment prior to a picture mm-hmm. um, and like what's going on and what's happening and so it's interesting to sort of like see that life a little before yes yeah. that you've sort of like created out of nothing right that was fun you know bringing the photographs to life yeah i love you know, that so, yeah so one one of the mo- more talked about parts of madonna's early career is when she goes to paris for nine months to work with patrick hernandez mm-hmm. but no one has ever seen a photo of that time um, did you find anything out about that time or was that also you know, she took off, did her thing, didn't tell anybody else about it, and then came back and resumed what she was working on before. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are a couple of photos from there if you mm-hmm. really, really dig deep. Um, but I didn't, again, I didn't want to scatter this too much yeah. uh, because it's only an hour and a half movie. Um, so I, I, I touch on that, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to dig too deep into while she was there Yeah. Um, because it's about Madonna and the Breakfast Club, not exactly. just Madonna, you know. Um, but I needed to tell that. That part because it's part of the story. Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and it's great because she she comes back and she's like, "All right, guys, I'm even more focused now, and let's put this band together." Yeah, and I think yeah, going there, I think it w- was such a frustration for her because she, she thought it was going to be something that it didn't didn't really become. Um, so she just wanted to get back home because it and like like you see when she's writing the letters to Dan from Paris mm-hmm. in, in the movie. Which I have those letters here for you to look at. But, but. Oh my God! <laughs> look at show and tell. Yeah, show and tell. So I have the actual letters, um, which are and again, not every letter is in the movie. Not every word she said in the letters are in the movie. You'll get to read them. But um, what I pulled from the letters, what I what I thought was the most interesting things, um, and what I found was interesting was that she was so um, at such a young age, twenty mm. years old, twenty one years old. She was so driven. And so her frustration in Paris was, I am not working enough because there's nothing for me to do. What am I? I want to be working towards something and there's nothing happening. And 
instead of just relaxing and hanging out in Paris as a 20-year-old having fun, which is what you would think a normal 20-year-old girl would want to do. No, she's looking for the hustle. Like, what? Let's go. Let's yeah. get this going. I swear to God, if she could find a way to bottle that drive, mm-hmm. you know, like forget the skincare line, Madonna. I want, just find the Madonna drive. Put Push it in, by yeah, Madonna. Put it in a bottle <laughs> and let me, like, just inject it or pill form or something. Like, yeah. I could totally use that. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question from another listener uh, at Thorneycroft, and this is our friend Adam Kennedy in Chicago. And he wants to know about the process of recreating the costume, you know, the clothes that, mm-hmm. you know, we first saw in photos and mm-hmm. um, other film footage. Uh, what costume designer did you work with and and how did you guys pull that off? Because that, that's another feat that I'm yeah. amazed by. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, this wasn't a big budget movie. So a lot of, uh, I wore a lot of hats. <laughs> um, so from, from hair, makeup to wardrobe, uh, locations, just everything. Um, but there were certain things that I cannot do. I'm not, I'm not a dressmaker or pattern maker, you know, so I needed to find a legit costume designer for certain pieces. Um, so I initially posted on Mandy.com to find a costume maker that might, and this went with a lot of the crew in the movie, I wanted to find people that were good at what they do, that I could afford to pay a mm-hmm. little bit, um, but that the bigger payoff for them would be to get a feature film credit and a film that would go somewhere right. and make some noise. And that was the payoff for them. So um, I had to convince them that this was going to be a movie that was going to be released and your name is going to be on it as the costume designer or the director of photography or whatever else crew, you know, other crew that I hired. Um, so I found this, I luckily found this incredible pattern maker. Um, Jessica McNear is her name. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I gave her the, the butterfly dress that you see when she's performing cold wind and stuff. Yeah. Um, she made that. She made the, um, the, the flower dress that she wears in the alleyway of the I synagogue. Love, I, I the keep pink. going back to that dress. Yeah. I love it. That. And, um, I think those are, oh, and she made the, the, the leotard, the, the leotard. Yes. The pink leotard mm-hmm. and the Peter, the Peter contest dancing at Michigan orange sort of jumper thing. Mm-hmm. She made that and that now again, the fabrics, the prints on those fabrics are very, very specific. Yeah. And again, I wanted everything to be just right. So, um, it was me going out to fabric stores and hunting through rolls of fabric and rolls of fabric for days and weeks. And finding you were, you were a regular at mood. What's that? You were a regular at mood. Yeah. <laughs> They were the move fabric story. You're strolling in and like, oh, hello, guy. Yeah, go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and again, because I wasn't paying them that much money, I couldn't tell them, you need to go hunt for this stuff. Mm-hmm. I would do it. Um, and then I would bring them fabric and then she'd make it. One pattern that we couldn't, two patterns we couldn't find, the butterfly dress, uh, the base fabric. She made the dress out of that with no butterflies on it. I found another fabric with just the butterflies and me and my husband would sit up at night cutting out butterflies while watching tv cutting out i need more i hope Cut you out. give your husband credit in the credits yeah. <laughs> and then glue and then glue them on to yes, that's love yeah so your husband that's the sick yeah. that you, you found a good one there <laughs> why aren't you cutting out butterflies what are you doing <laughs> so uh the 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 dancing in michigan dress uh jumper thing we couldn't get anywhere near close to it. So what I did was um, I took a photograph of the actual outfit and there are companies that can print onto fabric. Mm, good to know. And make fabric, you know, like that. 
So that's Tony's developing ideas hmm. for Halloween next year yeah. already. Yeah. Like, <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, uh, then I also met another costume designer, Don Ye, his name is. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of the work at Madame Tussauds Wax, Tussauds Wax Museum, the replicas. Oh, yeah, where Madonna is featured prominently. Yeah, he's great at doing replicas. Um, so he came in and he replicated um, the Madonna, little Madonna communion mm-hmm. dress. Uh, you know, when Madonna's receiving communion, we have an act, little actress playing her. So he made that down to every little detail, wow. frilly things, you know. Uh, the outfit she wore at Max's Kansas City, which is kind of like a pajama thing, mm-hmm. but you would think you could find, you can't find. So we had to have him with the piping and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he made that. I'm going to commission him to make me a Desperately Seeking Susan jacket. I've been looking for that my entire life. Which jacket? The Desperately Seeking Susan jacket. Oh, yeah. With the pyramid. Like, I want that. Yeah. Well, I want the black uh, Gautier hoodie from Causing a Commotion of Blonde Ambition. <gasps> oh, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. We need his number. <laughs> <laughs> so I have another technical question. So I was blown away by the locations. I mean, your location scouting skills are top-notch. So you went everywhere. Um, tell me about going to Michigan. Also tell me about the synagogue, which I've only read about, and now I get to see with my own eyes. And I can't believe that Ed Gilroy's still there. Like, mm-hmm. just unload all of that for me. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> uh, so Michigan, uh, me and my director of photography drove to Michigan, um, and we we went to her, her original house, which she lived in for the first probably like. 12 to 15 years of her life. That's Bay City, correct? That one is Pontiac. Pontiac, okay. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know where it was. It was very hard. I, I went to the library there, and that's how I ended up finding it. They had these old books in the library of who lived in the town, what they did for a living, and what the address was. So and, you saw Tony Ciccone? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And his wife, Madonna. You know. Oh, my God. And so we found the house, went to the house, because I wanted to go inside the Is house. Is there like a plaque outside? Like, Madonna no, lived here. No. And they're kind of like, I knocked on the door and a woman answered and I said, hi, um, I'm making this film about uh, people who lived in this area. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to jump to Madonna. <laughs> Making uh, a movie about Italian American. Uh, yes, that once lived here and um, focusing on ladies. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> what you, they lived through. Yeah, because I don't want to say Madonna because yeah. again, budget of this movie. You know. Oh right, they totally ask you for. Oh well, we're gonna need uh, thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. So I figured if I could just keep it vague, and I'm just interested in this house, and maybe you know, maybe they'll <laughs> let me film it. But she said, uh, I really don't know. Um, you'll have to ask my husband. He's not home yet. Can you come back? Okay. So now we went to the cemetery where her mother is and her relatives. Uh, we went there, um, and that's what we did to kill some time. We drove to her grandmother's house. We drove to which she spent a lot of time at. Um, we drove around to all the various places that she lived in in the neighborhood. Then we came back to the house later, and the husband answered. Same kind of introduction. I said, do you know anything about the history of this house? And he goes, Madonna. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> so I said, yeah, okay, so um, we would like to just, you know, film the house for this film, and um, would you accept X amount of dollars, which is kind of low? Um, he said, well, do you want to film inside and outside? And at that point, it hadn't dawned on me that I could go inside. I said, well, of course, both. And <laughs> yeah, shoot for the stars. Yeah. So he said, well, then it's going to need to be five times what you asked me for. Oh. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, let me go ask him, although I was in control. So. 
<laughs> yeah. So I go over to my director of photography. Okay, I'm just pretending like I'm asking you questions or whatever. I'll go back over to How about half of that? Um, he said, well, I'm not sure. I said, he said, do I have to sign anything? I said, well, yeah, you're going to have to sign a release that I can use this footage in the film. Oh, well, then I need that full amount. Oh, he thought you were rolling up with yeah, Maverick money. Yeah, he wasn't playing. So anyway, <laughs> he, I, I agreed. And we went in and we, I said, but I'm going, I'm shooting every nick and crap yeah. yeah, right. that house. Yeah. So we did, we went inside and it was pretty much the same as it looked back then because it, it was, it's a very, um, it wasn't a wealthy neighborhood by any means. Um, and so most of the houses weren't redone or renovated. Um, so it looked inside like how it probably was built. Right. And this is presumably the house that Madonna was, you know, was brought home after she was born. This is right. where she lived with her mother. Exactly. Before right. she died. The bassinet yeah. was still in the corner. <laughs> no. But the, it was interesting to me and probably not most level-headed people, but for Madonna, big Madonna fans, I wanted to see the bathroom. She took a bath in. Yeah. You know, and it was still there. <laughs> <laughs> what tile, what color was the pink. tile? Oh yeah, of course. It, it was, was pink. There were so many pink bathrooms. Yeah. The tub was pink, the toilet was pink, everything was pink. Were you able to figure out which one would have been her bedroom that she shared with her well sisters, I guess? There was only, it was three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I knew which one was the master, so I knew which mm-hmm. one was the parents' bedroom. Uh, but the other two, I think one was boys and one was girls. Right, because so, there were the two older boys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't know which one was which, though. Uh, and then just, you know, going into the backyard and just interesting to be where she was playing yeah. when she was a little kid and all, you know. That kind of thing. So that was Michigan. And then we went to um, uh, the dance, the, the uh, university where she studied dance. Right. And that was with Peter Kentes. Uh, and he took us to the dance department um, and with the water fountain with those pictures that say it's still there. Um, is it safe to say that Lourdes is studying in the same yeah. buildings oh, and yeah. everything. Yeah, wow. same school. I mean, she's, you know, a dancer too, so yeah. she's in the dance. Is she still in school? Yeah, she goes she to University of Michigan. she dropped out. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's uh, graduated yet or but but... Uh, I think she's got one year left, but she's also a, a top model in her spare time. Yeah, true. Right. <laughs> well, and makes an appearance in the Madame X tour. Yeah. So she, she's got interpretive dancer on yeah. her resume. Yeah, so I'm she's sure... She's a, a multimedia artist. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure which is kind of... Uh, Interesting uh, that she's studying at the same dance department that Madonna was in. Um, so from the Michigan, um, then we came back, and I actually went to Paris to film uh, Martin Schrieber, who was the photographer who did all of those original nudes. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives in Paris now, so I had to go there to do his interview. Um, then the synagogue, uh, Ed actually still lives in the synagogue. They actually Crazy. bought the synagogue, uh, do you know I, how much they bought it for? What's that? Do you know how much they bought it for? I don't. But it, uh, at the time, it was it, it, it was no longer a synagogue. It was just this abandoned sort of, you know, empty rooms and stuff. Um, the woman who owned the building was going to sell it. And she said, you know, these were the guys that were living in it. So she said, well, I'm going to sell the building. I just want to let you guys know in case you want to buy it. And they said, well, yeah, how much? And they worked out a deal. and, and not, not enough. That's how I'm much. sure it they, was not. They probably bought that for a song yes. compared to what they could get for it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, they bought it and Ed then went in. And, and So the synagogue, the basement, the outside looks the same. The basement looks the same where they played, recorded, rehearsed. Um, the upstairs doesn't look the same because he went, he you know, raised the family there. He yeah. built bedrooms and another kitchen and stuff like that. So um, that's been renovated. Um, so, uh, yeah, 
but it was kind of cool being there. It was like filming there, filming in the alleyway and in, in the basement where, where they recorded and rehearsed and the drums were still there, the actual drums that she, her guitars, this, mm-hmm. the guitars she wrote up her song on, all still there. And sometimes I had to sort of remind myself because when you're making a film, you're, you know, you're all over the place mentally yes. and you're just worrying about making the film. But I had to kind of pull myself back and say, hey, just like look around and take appreciate. it in. Take it mm-hmm. in. Exactly. Feel the energy. From yeah. Like this. He could probably charge admission at this point. Yeah. Like make it a museum and like charge, like get his like monthly uh, property. Oh, property oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Madonna fans would go. Yeah. They went, to, they went to the pop-up shop. They'd certainly go to that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, because stuff like that, you know, things usually get torn down and mm-hmm. replaced and everything. Where, where is that exactly? Where it's is in it? Queens. Corona Queens. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I've always wondered how far, I mean, how long Madonna's commute would have been to the East Village or downtown from... From there. Corona? Yeah, from Corona. Probably, maybe like 40 minutes. Yeah, it, it, it's it's far. It probably uh, gave her enough time to, like, you know, jot some tunes down and yeah, do a book. Yeah, just a subway <laughs> ride, you know, straight straight through. But um, And uh, so, so then um, there was the music building. The music building is another place that pretty much looks the same. Yeah, I could not believe that that was still there. Yeah, and, and it, it looked, operates it the same. It was not renovated in any way, shape, yeah. or form. And people, musicians still use it in the same way that it was used back then mm. to rehearse in. They rent out those rooms to rehearse in. Um, I was able to get in contact with the owner of the music building through Camille Babon, ironically. Um, she hooked me up with him. And he was just really generous to me in letting us film there pretty much whenever we wanted and wherever we wanted. Um, and so uh, we were able to go to the floors that she lived on, to the rooms that she lived in. Yeah, because uh, she did, like, she was a squatter there, right? Like, yeah. she would stay after she'd finished working and just, yeah, she you know, secretly, secretly lived there. Exactly, yeah. And they kind of knew that some people were living there and they just kind of let them be, but it really wasn't supposed to be happening. Um, so, but yeah, anytime, any of the rooms that you see them in, in the movie, uh, it's, that's where, that's the real room uh, that they were in. Um, which was for me as a filmmaker, it's kind of like finding this fine line between, you know, Madonna fan and filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, it's kind of like, you know, I want, to me, I would appreciate knowing that this is the actual room Madonna was writing songs in when you see Jamie writing songs. But do I flash that on the screen this is the actual room she was in, you know so i just kind of let it just let it be yeah you know uh it was it was it was good for us creatively to be in that space mm-hmm. and, and really like the authenticity of that you know was everything yeah where is the music building located that's on 8th avenue mm-hmm. uh between 37th and 38th street which you know if you Think back to that time in New York. That was a really dicey area. Oh, yeah. Not was stellar to hang out in in the 80s. No, yeah. that was a rough area. Yeah. yeah. It's still not all that pleasant. Oh, great, but, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. but it's much better. Yeah, yeah. Nothing in Manhattan is that bad anymore. Uh, but yeah, that was a bad time. So we have an, another question from a listener. And, um, you know, he says, you know, first the tone of the film was a surprise. It was nostalgic and even wistful look back at youth and the struggles of young people who are creative and want to be artists and eventually about how the pursuit of these things brings some people close together and drives others apart. Um, wondering if the nostalgic tone surprised you because 
we were really expecting something sensationalistic and initially, you know, made me skeptical to see the film. Did it emerge from the interviews or was that the story that you originally, you know, hoped to tell? Um, you know, again, when you're making a documentary, you're exploring, mm -hmm. so you can't know what it's going to become. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, coming from being a fan of Madonna, um, I wasn't interested in the salacious yeah. or, you know, trying to just make something that is going to make a headline to sell the movie. You know, um, I wanted to tell something real and, and truthful. And I also wanted to show um, something that I knew had to be true, which is that she was at one point just a regular girl. Mm -hmm. She was not, you know, she had this drive in her, of course, but uh, she was just, uh, you know, like any of us, kind of trying to figure out what we're going to do with our lives, um, how to do it, how to get there with insecurities and, you know, sort of self-doubt um, and vulnerabilities and, and, and all of those things that humanize her. Um, and that's, that's what I wanted to show, you know, to, to sort of show this is a person. This, she's not, she wasn't mm -hmm. always, you know, she didn't just pop out of the sky as a pop star yeah. from a music video. She was yeah, just and, you know, girl. she's not Hollywood royalty. You know, she didn't come from a rich family. You know, she did this on her own. And I think that's what resonates most with the fans. And I think that's what really comes through in the film. Is yeah. The work ethic and, yeah, the, the initial discovery that she's going through. Because, yeah, I see that in the film. It's part of the spirit of, you know, her kind of going from one thing to the next, but she's almost as surprised as everyone else is, you know? Absolutely, yeah. She had she had no idea. She couldn't know mm -hmm. where she was going to go, how she was going to get there, or, or if she was going to get there. And if she did get there, to the extreme, mm -hmm. she would get there. This wasn't just someone becoming famous. Yeah. This is someone becoming one of the most famous, if not the most famous person <laughs> in the world, yeah. you know, ever. So I don't think she predicted that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it, I've, I discovered in making, you know, you saw the recording, you heard the recordings, um, how she sounds mm -hmm. just like an everyday person, just fooling around, having fun, you know, being silly. And, uh, you know, in these letters, uh, you know, um, I don't know if we'll have time that there's one letter that I think is interesting. I could read. Um, Oh, please go right please, ahead. Yes. Yes. So w what I found interesting, um, is that with her relationship with Dan, she um, she really loved him. She really did, and and he obviously really loved her too. But he wasn't as forthcoming um, as she was. Um, and you know, I didn't want to include all of these letters in in the film. A lot of them, are, you know, were very personal. Um, but I find this one in particular interesting because you see that uh, again, going back to you know the idea of her using people. She loved him, mm -hmm. you know, and if anything, she showed him more how much she loved him than he showed her. And I think his, I know now, knowing him and speaking to him, he was more holding back out of fear that she would run if she knew how much yeah. he loved her. You know, it was always, he always felt like he was trying to hang on to her, you know, and if he acted a little more blasé, maybe he'd, she'd be more interested you know? Yeah. Um, so this letter, uh, this is now at the point where they um, have been making music a little bit. You know, she knows how to play a little bit. He showed her, you know, some stuff. Um, but he had to have a day job. 
you know, and she didn't at the time. She was just living there. Um, so she says, dear boy, she called him Danny boy a lot. Hmm. Um, I felt so sad when you left this morning. You looked really, you looked really sick about having to work. I felt really, truly bad that you were going somewhere and I was able to stay here doing what you want to be doing, playing, playing music. How can we make this better? I had a very shake after you left. Then after yoga, I went for a walk with that boy. Then I played some drums and guitar. Asked me later about my other song. Well, I'm feeling extremely grateful to have walked into your world. Goodbye, good boy. P.S. When you get home, please tune the guitar to an open E. <laughs> <laughs> Always giving orders, Madam X. It feels like she found her chosen family with these guys, mm-hmm. with the Breakfast Club, with Dan, and you know, in yeah. particular, um, you know, because from you know, from what I gather, from what I've read, uh, you know, just from when she first moved to New York, she was very lonely. She didn't know anyone. And she kind of bounced from person to person as far as like, you know, point of reference. But when she, you know, got to the synagogue, it was like she found a family, right? Yeah, for sure. And and uh, and again, it was the relationship with Dan, too. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, he was a boyfriend mm-hmm. at the time. And, and again, not someone that she was just looking to step over. Right. Dan told me that uh, every week she would have a different name. Mm-hmm. She would name herself. She yeah, would try out X. different names. So this week she was Mademoiselle Bijou. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hold that, I kind of wrote this. <laughs> She's got good handwriting. I'll give her that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm about to start crying. This is crazy. I. Oh. It's Madonna's handwriting. So you see, the, the the relationship was authentic. Yeah. That's that's my point. And after all these years of reading all these things, it's like I I'm actually seeing proof. Of Madonna's love for Dan Gilroy and Where the Breakfast Club. Where did you find those? Well, from the, Dan. Oh, he just gave them to Dan's you. property. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's other stuff in here. I have all you know the original original slides and all the negatives of all the photos you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, oh. back back when there was film. Yeah, was back when there was film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I bought you guys a little gift too. Oh, each get a DVD of the movie. Yes. <laughs> I love um, yeah, for those of you that haven't seen the film, it is literally a treasure trove of um, you know Madonna footage, uh, photographs, you know, actual sound recordings. But it's also a, a very nuanced look at a specific time in an artist's life, and uh, also a specific time in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm thoroughly impressed by it, and I. And I love watching it. Sometimes I have it on in the background just so I can look up and you know, uh. kind of see what's going on. <laughs> but um, every time we have a guest, Stefan likes to do some rapid-fire questions, oh, which yeah. sure. I am right. going to turn over to him. I wasn't prepared for lightning round just yet. <laughs> uh, yes, okay. So lightning round questions, I, I preface this with everybody. It's just meant to be an off-the-top-of-your-head type of thing where you're currently at as uh-huh. a Madonna fan in your Madonna journey because uh-huh. sometimes it changes. Yeah. Uh, so, and they're just quick, they're just quick, quick, quick questions. So top five favorite Madonna songs right now. Um, I would say Spanish Eyes. Mm. Mm. 
uh, burning up. Mm-hmm. Um, take a bow. Um, promise to try. Uh, I I lost my mother when she was very young, also, so that kind of resonates, you know. Yeah. To me. Um, one more, I would say. Probably, Oh Father. I think I really loved that album. Mm-hmm. So a lot of classic <laughs> yeah. Madonna. Yeah. Like more on the earlier side of her career. We're practically yes. twins. We're like Like a Prayer fans. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my favorite album yeah. in general. Uh, okay, so your top three, I'm assuming you've seen Madonna multiple times mm-hmm. on in, in concert. Um, um, he was probably one of the first to see her. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You saw her before her tours. Yeah. Uh, what are your top like three favorite Madonna tours that she's done uh and I've, I've been to every tour um from the beginning so uh in like a virgin you know and pre like a virgin oh where did you see the virgin tour a radio city musical oh wow nice yep yeah uh but i would say my favorites were uh actually the who's that girl tour and probably because it was the experience it was it was outside it was at Jer- jersey stadium it was called jersey stadium at the time whatever it is now um so but it was a an outdoor stadium mm-hmm. and it rained and i remember like uh her singing live to tell and and the how that starts the those you know that music yeah and and the rain is coming down and she's singing in the rain and her hair is soaking wet and it, it was just magical mm-hmm. really incredible especially during that tour because i feel like her hair looked better when it was wet yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh i think who's that girl Girly show, loved girly show, and um, I'd say blonde ambition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Um, last but not least, do you have a favorite Madonna look? So I'm assuming maybe it might be vintage Madonna, but it can be from any like photograph, video, tour. Like, like, is there one look that you're like, my God, that is Madonna? Yeah, yeah. It's um, something that I'll, whenever I see it, I, I just like I, I can't. I have to stop and stare at it because so gorgeous to me is that photo shoot she did with her Brits where she's got the, uh, I think it was for interview magazine where she's got the black severe Bob, mm-hmm. uh, in this shot, shot some stuff in the bathroom and, um, the photos that were in the Immaculate collection and also yes. in keep it together. Yes. Yeah. I love the keep that. it together cover. I stand that. Look. I actually, that's the t-shirt I bought at blonde ambition with yeah. the side view with the yes. hat and the black hair. Yep. I had that too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll kill the girl who stole it from me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Someone stole it from you. Yeah, her name is Gina, and I think she lives in Atlanta. So if anyone sees her... Wow, you're calling her out. Yeah. Gina. <laughs> Damn it, Gina. <laughs> it was in mint condition. <laughs> well, I, I, for one, I'm so happy that we got to talk to you about this film. I've been wondering about it for, you know, months. And um, I, I feel like... I feel like we got so many answers and I'm yeah. If you guys haven't seen it, you know, hurry up and uh, get on Hulu and Amazon prime and, and give this one a look and tell your friends. Cause I, I, you know, if you're a Madonna fan, you're going to eat it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had one quick question for you before we wrap up the episode. Have you had since your early Madonna experiences, have you had a like a, in the last 10, 15, 20 years have since she's become such the iconic performer that she is, have you had an 
instance where you've been able to reconnect with her in any way? Like, yeah. And have you heard from Maverick or her management about, you know, your film? I have not. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen her up close and personal like that, um, except for one time, uh, we didn't speak or anything, but, uh, most fans probably know that her daughter, Lourdes, um, went to the School of the Arts in Manhattan mm-hmm. and they put on the show Grease and I was living in the neighborhood at the time in Hell's Kitchen. And so my husband and I went to the show. She played Rizzo, right? Yeah. 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 And she was actually very good. Good singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we're sitting there and just intermission comes and I go up to go to the bathroom and like three rows behind us. Donna and Rocco, um, and she's sitting there texting on her phone. She does that at public events. She's always texting, right? (laughs) So so then I text my husband. I'm like, look behind you. Madonna's there. And he's like, he looks, I'm like, the the woman with the the phone lit up in her face, that's Madonna. And he's like, ha ha, LOL, whatever. Like, no, I'm serious. (laughs) So... So then we come back and then we passed her. Now, at that point, because the lights were up for intermission, so everyone's gawking now. They see her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, when the show finished, I kind of, as the audience, the rows are emptying out, I timed my footing and my steps so that I would end up directly behind her. <laughs> you're, a, you're a true Madonna fan. I applaud you. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I was directly behind her. Like I could have tucked on the back of her hair, but I didn't. Um, but that was, yeah, that was the last time I was anywhere you know, that within that much, uh, that close proximity. Hey, that uh, works her. for me. You should have, oh, well, you probably, you hadn't done the documentary at that point, right? I was What's that? What? You hadn't done the documentary at that point. Cause no, now no. you need to like always carry a DVD with yeah, you. Whenever you yeah. Know, you I mean, yeah. Like, I've heard through the grapevine. I don't know how much is true or not. I've heard from various, cause I've got to know a lot of Madonna fans through making this movie yeah. and a lot of the, you know, the, um, the bigger, bigger fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've heard through the grapevine that I mean I know she's well aware of the movie. That I know for a fact. Um, but that she has seen what we were doing through Instagram, and that she's kind of uh, just blown away when she's. I heard this is what I heard specifically. She saw Jamie and said, "What the fuck." <laughs> <laughs> She probably but, thought Jamie was created in a lab, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're cloning me Somebody cloned me in, in the 80s, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's as far as I know that she liked what we were doing. Um, because we haven't had any pushback. Um, no cease and desist. No. And, uh, well, it's a good thing you didn't tug on her hair at that performance of yeah. because then she would have thought maybe you cut her hair. Oh, yeah. And, and then took it to a lab, her. and that's how they got Exactly, the Yeah. No, I take it. I take the fact that they they haven't pushed back or haven't, as in Madonna's way, you know, sort of a, a, an unspoken nod of approval. Yeah, you peacefully coexist. Alone. Yeah. Yes. And because she she hasn't been very tolerant of that in the past. Right. Exactly. I think if she had something bad to say, she would have no problem well, saying it. It's a respectful film. You yeah. know, like that's the thing. If maybe if you'd come out trashing her, yeah, then they, people would have been like, uh, no, sorry. But it's right. a very respectful look at her and her career and you're actually hearing the story from the men who were with her yeah. at that time in her life. Yeah. And I have a lot of non, non Madonna fans or that would write to me and say, you know, I really wasn't, I was never a big, I didn't dislike her. I just didn't, you know, really care either way. But now after watching this movie, it's like, I, I have a whole different mm-hmm. respect for her. And, you know, and not that Madonna needed my help in that, but like that was a uh, part of my, you know, goal was to sort of show the world and yeah. Madonna fans and non-fans alike, 
that this was someone who worked her ass off to get what she has. Ultimately, yeah, that, that, that was my biggest takeaway when I first saw Truth or Dare. And that's what I wanted everyone that was a non-fan to take away is the work ethic and how she inspires us to be better versions of ourselves because we can relate to that. And that is definitely a big part of your film. So thank you. When is the sequel? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think like for a while, I, I, I have to take a breather from Madonna mm-hmm. creatively. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm on to other. Oh, nice. Well, actually, I read in an interview, I don't remember which one it was, that you had interest in working on a film about Cindy Lauper, too. I, yeah, I had been in touch with her management. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cindy, the, the last I've gotten, they were open to it. Um, mm-hmm. They've seen Madonna the Breakfast yeah. Club. Um, Cindy has so much going on right now. Yeah. Um, through like 2021. Oh my god! Oh. Yeah, yeah. She like writes Broadway shows. You know? Yeah, no big deal. Exactly. Yeah, musicals. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like more like trying to nail her down for another project. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's going to be realistic for them right now. You know. And I wanted her for this one, for the next one. If I do another musically based historical kind mm-hmm. of documentary type movie, I want the person to participate. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Cindy yeah. has a really great origin story that not mm-hmm. a lot of people know. You yeah, know? she was a maybe eclipsed by Madonna's fame, but her artistry, you know, just keeps on going. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Well, Guy, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today, telling us some stories. Oh, you're welcome. some Madonna swag. That was and, fun. Uh, <laughs> we're going to dive into that portfolio that you brought because there's a lot of goodies in there that we can't, yes. we can't do on the show. <laughs> yes, thanks for coming out. And um, guys, this was fun and... Also, uh, you know, continue to check out Madonna and the Breakfast Club on Hulu and Amazon Prime, you know, and, you know, spread the word because it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great film and um, I want everyone to see it. Thank so, you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you can find us on at MLBC Podcast on Instagram. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are heard. That would be Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Luminary, and Podbean. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya. See ya. Bye.